Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. The 23rd Sunday after Trinity, Matthew 22, 15 to 22. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. In our faithful Savior, dear beloved hearers, Christianity is a religion meant for all times and peoples. It is so constituted that one can be a Christian in all lands, under all governments, in every station of life, in every calling, in every age, in all circumstances. No one can ever say that he is in a situation where he must do something unchristian. Christ's kingdom is not a kingdom of this world, but an invisible, heavenly kingdom in the hearts and minds of men. It overthrows no earthly kingdom. Neither can it be overthrown by any earthly kingdom. Christ can rule his Christians in a monarchy just as well as in a republic. Though this is true, it cannot be denied that at present we gain by not having to live under the monarchy of Germany, but in this great glorious republic. Although we could be Christians even in our old fatherland just as well here, We nevertheless enjoy certain spiritual advantages here, which we must consider great blessings from our God. Sad to say, today we hear that few monarchies permit Christians complete freedom of worship. In almost all governments, false teachers and books are forced upon Christians in church and school by the authorities. They have commanded them to conduct public worship, and educate the children according to the notions of their human superiors. Against God's word, they have church and altar fellowship with those who pervert and falsify God's word in many important articles of faith. Therefore, many thousands of Christians in other lands groan under this terrible oppression of conscience, yearn for freedom from this heavy spiritual yoke, and desire shepherds after the heart of God. They pray for shepherds to lead them on the pastures of the pure word and teachers to dispense the pure milk of the gospel to their children, but in vain. How well off we, therefore, are. We have found a new home here where we can purely and richly dispense the means of grace without interference. We can guide church and school solely according to God's word. How fortunate that here we are not directed to teachers who expound a comfortless human doctrine instead of God's counsel for our salvation. 
How blessed that we do not have to surrender our children to men who poison their young hearts with the virus of unbelief. Here, Christians are without God's word only when they do not want to have it, or willingly entrust themselves either to unbelieving belly servers or to work-righteous enthusiasts. Here we are free. The fateful choice lies in our own hands. As wonderful as the freedom of this country is, and as great as are the advantages it can bring to true zealous Christians, just so frequently and inexcusably it is misused by most, not a few, frivolously, change their religion with their homeland. The great mass supposes that they are free from obedience to God, free from religion, free from church and worship, free from obedience to elders and authorities, yes, free from all good discipline. The freedom they seek is nothing else than shamelessness, the most disgraceful servitude of their passions, the slavery of sin. Now it is true, no one is here compelled to play the hypocrite, he who despises God and his word can, without fear of punishment, do it openly. Whoever does not want to bear the gracious scepter of God can outwardly exclude himself from God's kingdom of grace. In this sense, he can be free from God, namely, free from his grace, free from his salvation. God, however, remains king even here. His throne is erected over this republic also. His almighty hand reaches over the ocean to also these distant corners of the earth. No creature can emigrate from his kingdom of power. His holy laws prevail also here. Whoever transgresses them meets his threats even here. Even in this country, the word applies which Christ said in today's gospel, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Permit me now to speak further to you of this. Matthew twenty-two, fifteen to 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us, tell us then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. So far our text. Let us now pause before this most important declaration and ponder. Christ's command is still valid. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. First, the command, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and second, the command, and to God the things that are God's. We pray. Lord, our ruler, you are worshipped by all thrones, 
power, and principalities in heaven. You have ordained that the angels should serve the archangel and man should serve man. You have confirmed your holy ordinance through your eternal word. Help us not to rebel against you, but in humility serve you, and be subject to your representatives on earth, to the honor of your name and our salvation. To that end, bless your holy word through your grace and truth. Amen. The command, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, does not seem to be written in the Bible for us in the United States. We live in a republic. No Kaiser, King, or Prince rules over us. However, it only seems that way. The correct exposition will show that it concerns us and all people of the world. This is much the same as with the Sixth Commandment. You shall not commit adultery. It appears as if it does not concern a great number of people, namely the unmarried. From Luther's splendid exposition, we should fear and love God so that we may lead a pure and decent life in words and deeds. We see that it is for all, whether they are married or not. So the command of Christ, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, concerns all men, whether they are under a Kaiser or have made their home in a republic. We must know the following points. The Jews thought that when the Messiah would come, he would not only free them from the yoke of the Roman Caesar, but would really make all Jews temporal lords. All other nations would be subject to them. The Jews would be subject to none. When Christ, therefore, arose in Judea and stated that he was the Messiah, when he traveled about so poor, so humble, and so weak, and when he made absolutely no preparations to free them from the oppression of the Romans, many were offended. For that reason, they did not want to recognize Jesus as the true Messiah. The Pharisees especially belonged to that class. In order to tempt him, they asked Christ the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They thought, if Jesus says no, we can accuse him of insurrection. If he says yes, we can show the people that he cannot possibly be the Messiah. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Christ means to say, If you have Caesar's tax money in your hand, you show that you are Caesar's subjects, and he has authority over you. Therefore, give Caesar what is Caesar's. He provides for the government of your land. Give him the tax, the obedience, and the honor which he is due. Bear in mind the occasion on which Christ made the statement, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Consider the context in which these words stand. We should see that Christ not only impresses obedience to a sovereign prince, but that he also means to say that, as the Messiah, he did not come to repeal the laws of God. Those who believe in him are not released from obeying those who according to God's ordinance, have authority over them in the kingdom of power. So even in our new fatherland, the command of Christ, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, is unalterably valid. God's ordinances 
have force even in this republic. Even here, we are not all equal with one another. First of all, there are the state officials. Without these, no state can exist. Without them, our property would not be protected. Without them, we could not sleep peacefully at night. Without them, our life would not be safe one hour. Yes, our republic would be without freedom, or it would be nothing but the most dangerous and ruinous evil of our land. Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, Christ says to us. Our government was instituted by the will of the majority of all the people, and is answerable to it. Yet it is God's ordinance and servant. God has given the sword of protection and vengeance, the scales of justice, into its hands. We should consider its laws holy and inviolable. Its commands, God's commands. Its laws, God's laws. We should joyfully pay the taxes they assess, that not only its benefits can be maintained, but also that God's holy will may be done. Yes, we should be ready to sacrifice our very life if our government demands it to preserve the common good, to go in battle against the country's enemy. It is no small sin to transgress a command of our government which we placed over ourselves, to make out a false tax return, or to transgress in a business deal, its laws confirmed by God. If we therefore wish to be Christians, we must conscientiously live according to the word of Christ. Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. We must give the government, no matter who it may be, what is its due. As the apostle says in Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed, the word of the Lord." Not only the city and country, but every family as well has its head appointed by God himself. God's word confirms the authority of the parents to the children, saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Ephesians 6. God's word confirms the authority of the employer saying, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Ephesians 6. God's word also establishes the authority of the man over his wife when it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Ephesians 5. We see that Christ's words, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, should be written over the doorposts of all homes.
Mark this well, you sons and daughters. It is true. You live in a country where men have given you great freedom and have released you from obeying your fathers and mothers when you are of legal age. God's word says something different. If you wish to be God's children and have his grace, you must remain obedient, thankful, and humble children of your parents until your death. Do not permit yourself to be carried along by the great number of those children who do not consider their parents holy, who do not ask about their commands and advice, who forsake their parents and do not serve them in adulthood as they did in their youth. These are godless children. They are not in God's kingdom of grace. Yes, in all their ways, they remain cursed in time and eternity if they do not repentantly seek grace from their parents and their heavenly Father. Bear in mind, you sons and daughters, your parents may perhaps be weak. They perhaps do not punish you for every misdeed. As a result, you do not honor them as God's representative, nor obey and serve them in childlike humility. This indulgence of your parents will not excuse you. It is God whom you despise in them. It is also God who seeks his honor and will frightfully avenge the contempt of that holy bond which he has tied. Therefore, honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And you hired men and women, mark this well. You may serve whom you wish. You serve not merely men. But Christ your Savior lets himself be served through your masters and mistresses. Believe this. If you wish to serve them only for money, your whole service, no matter how bitter, is sinful, reprehensible, and damnable in God's eyes. Alas, only too many young people show that they do not work because God wants them to. For if a home is in great trouble, if work is hard and the pay is not high, the afflicted father cannot find help. And if merely some little thing does not suit them, if the master or mistress are a little bit odd, they leave them. They do not ask whether their master would be in difficulty or danger. You who serve in such a way, how far you are from being a true Christian. You have no reward even here. Truly, if you do not repent, if in your service you do not learn to look only upon Christ and for his sake bear the heavy load with willingness and humility, God will someday say to you, I never knew you, you unfaithful hired man, you mercenary girl. Depart from me forever, you workers of lawlessness. Matthew 7. Finally, mark this well, you wives who at the altar of the Lord have sworn to your spouse not only to love him dearly, to heed his wishes with tender care and become his assistant. You have also sworn to be subject to your spouse as your head, according to God's holy ordinance, and honor and fear him as God's image. Do not excuse yourself by saying that your spouse is so weak, so good and indulgent, that he permits you either through craft flattery, or the gift of persuasion, or even because of your wrath and quarrelsomeness to rule over him. Your spouse cannot throw away the scepter, which God has given into his hand. The authority of the man is God's ordinance. Therefore, 
Shame on the wife who knows how to insist on her will and break the will of her spouse. She perverts God's holy ordinance, becomes a blemish among Christian wives, an object of contempt in the eyes of the holy angels, and will someday have to give a strict accounting to him whose institution she wantonly perverted. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that we have seen how Christ's words render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's apply to us in our country, let us now in the second place ponder the validity of his second word, render to God the things that are God's. Not without the most important reasons did Christ add these last words. Not a few want to give everyone his due, yet they do not think of the debt which they owe God the Most High. Not a few suppose that if they are honorable citizens, obedient children, and good members of our family, no more can be demanded of them. They think that then they are good Christians and will certainly be saved. Not a few permit their obligations to men to hinder them from serving God and subscribe to the principle, serving men goes ahead of serving God. Christ contradicts all this with his addition, render to God the things that are God's. These important words teach us that the more belongs to being a Christian than walking honorably before the world or standing blameless before men. They tell us that if we wish to come to God, we must give God everything which is his due. But what is God's due? Everything which we are and have belongs to God, our body and soul, our heart, our life, our powers, our joys, our honor belong to him. In short, everything. He is the creator of all things. He is the Lord over all, the spring from which everything flows, and back to whom everything must again return. Now, who would believe that the Most High has less right over us and less claim upon us in a republic than elsewhere. Certainly no one. Then let me ask you, have you given God what is God's? For whom do you live? Do you live no longer for yourself, but only for your God? Is it actually your honest wish to employ every hour of your life in God's honor? Do you actually believe that you have nothing in this world to do than to glorify God in everything? Is that the goal toward which you are going? Is that the concern which fills you? Is that the focal point in which all your wishes, all your yearnings, all your desires come together? Bear in mind, by nature, Everyone lives only for himself. By nature, every person hates God. By nature, everyone seeks his rest, the satisfaction of his heart in the world, its goods, joys, and honor. But when a man truly learns to know Christ, his grace and his salvation through God's word and the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, a great change takes place. He leaves himself completely. He knows God as his highest good. He seeks in him ever greater blessedness. He becomes completely united with God and will sacrifice everything for him. Who among us has already experienced this change of heart? 
Who of us hangs his heart no more on the joys and goods of this world, so that without lying he can say with Asaph in the psalm, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Psalm 73. Who among us says, if he is praised and honored, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Psalm 115. Oh, let no one rely on giving everyone his due, if he still does not give God his whole heart, and with that, everything. For Christ says not only, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but also, and to God, the things that are God's. At this point, perhaps many say, I would gladly serve God with my whole heart, but in my job I associate only with the godless. I must work the whole day so hard that I can think little of God and salvation. Perhaps another says, I would gladly be a zealous Christian, but I have parents or a wife or a husband who loves the world and to whom I must yield in many things to live in peace. You who excuse yourselves thus, hear what Christ says elsewhere to explain our text. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. Luke 9. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Luke 14. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10. You see, my friends, you must decide. If we wish to come to God, we must, even here, leave everything. Leave the world and ourselves and give ourselves completely to God. Whoever, therefore, has until now asked absolutely nothing about God, or who has divided his heart with him and another creature, let him tear himself free. Otherwise, he will have no rest. Someday, he will not come to God but will find himself deceived with his pretended Christianity. However, he who even now rests in God through faith is blessed in God even here, enjoying that peace which the world cannot give, a peace which is higher than all understanding. His heart is full of comfort and hope. In death, God finally opens to him the dwelling places of eternal peace, and lets him enter into glory and salvation from eternity to eternity. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.